0: Welcome to the Canine Conservationists podcast, where we're positively obsessed with conservation detection dogs. Join us every week to discuss ecology, training, welfare, conservation biology, and everything in between. I'm Kayla Fratt, one of the co-founders of Canine Conservationists, where we train dogs to detect data for land managers, researchers, agencies, and NGOs. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Emma Lutzig, who recently completed her first season as a conservation detection dog handler, and we are here to talk to her all about that. Emma grew up near Mount Hood in Oregon and has been a lifelong environmental enthusiast and animal lover. She attended Oregon State University and obtained her Bachelor's of Science in Biology there. She began a career in biotechnology doing zebrafish genetic modification research and acquired her first dog around that time now she's doing a deep dive in a conservation detection dog work animal behavior and ethology i'm super excited to get to this interview but before we get into it we've got two housekeeping things to take care of one is that we got a um several new reviews and um they make me so happy that i have to share them all with you um so this one is from soda pop forever um in mid september And the review reads, so I've been intrigued by the idea of canine conservation for a few years, but struggled to find a more info available to the general public. I could find professional canine conservation companies online who offered their scientific services for hire, but I did not know where to look to learn more. I'd searched podcasts several times, but must have been pu- must not have been putting in the correct search terms. Luckily, I came across Kayla Frat's Canine Conservationist podcast, and have had a hard time turning it off. I've learned so much, and I'm so grateful that she has taken the time and energy to share her love and knowledge of this intriguing topic. The episodes are quite informative, and Kayla always manages to keep them light and enjoyable. I would highly recommend this podcast to anyone who's interested in wildlife conservation or anyone who's interested in the fascinating world of working dogs. So, um, if you haven't reviewed the podcast yet, these podcast uh, these reviews really really do make my day Um, and they also help more people find the show which obviously again makes me happy but also helps kind of spread the word of conservation detection dogs. One of the things that this field really struggles with is people just don't know we exist um, and just don't know that we could help with their research. So, okay, we're almost ready to talk to Emma, but first, we do have a science highlight. First, this one was prepared by our volunteer, Maddie Steffens, and it is titled Training Methods, Canine Olfaction, and was published in 2016 in Applied Animal Behavior Science by our beloved Nathaniel J. Hall, David W. Smith, and Clive D. L. Wynn. So the question is, does Pavlovian pre-exposure to a target odor increase a dog's sensitivity to the odor in detection trials? So in the overview, we write, while most of us dog nerds understand the power of positive conditioning, a study performed by Dr. Nathaniel Hall demonstra- demonstrates its true power. In this study, it was explored how Pavlovian pre-exposure exposure to a target odor affects outcomes in detection dog trials Upon completion of training. So before experimentation, dogs were trained to discriminate between positive and negative odor samples using a very fancy odorometer, which precisely delivered the target odor of a positive or negative sample. The dogs were then tested on their sensitivity to the odor using that said odorometer. So basically they could do dilutions. Once the sensitivity for each dog was set, the dogs were randomly assigned to receive either non-contingent exposure to the odor, meaning they were just exposed to the odor with no additional conditioning or Pavlovian conditioning, where they were exposed to the odor associated with positive reinforcement. The Pavlovian conditioning was controlled by a computer system, which controlled the release of the odorant and administered food rewards at exactly 10 seconds into the 15-second intervals, with five-minute breaks occurring between intervals. So basically, they kind of turned the odor on for 15 seconds, and at second 10, they got food, if I'm understanding correctly. The non-contingent group was exposed to the odorant in five minute intervals with no handler feedback or reinforcement occurring at any point. So they kind of just got the odor like introduced to their kennel or whatever without anything extra. Um, Let's see. It was found that that the Pavlovian pre-exposure to the target odor increased the dog's sensitivity to the odor, meaning the dogs were actually able to detect the odor at lower levels than the non-conditionally non-contingently conditioned dogs. This has implications in the detection world, mainly due to how we choose to approach the imprinting process in the future. With this discovery, they can focus on using Pavlovian conditioning when we introduce dogs to odor to cut down training time and increase clarity to the dog from the beginning. A main limitation to the study is the use of the liquid dilution olfactometer rather than an air dilution olfactometer, though the difference could be argued to be negligible due to the use of the liquid dilution olfactometer. Only changes from baseline could be quantified rather than absolute stimulus level, um, which I'm not 100% sure if I understand that limitation, um, and I will have to go back and reread this paper if I, uh, <laughs> to get that. And then another limitation, maybe the choice of dogs. Though each dog was randomized to a group, there may have been trends between the groups. For example, um, Maddie noticed that the average age for the non-contingent exposure group was a couple years older than the Pavlovian group. While this may or may not have had a major infect, it's important to consider. I don't know what their sample size was either. Um, But I think this makes a lot of sense. Basically, if you give the dogs their target odor associated with a reward, they care more about the target odor and are better at identifying it and, and honestly i'm a little mm, i mean yeah I, I i need to go back and read this article um now because now that we've got volunteers doing it i don't necessarily read these because um so maybe i'm missing something here but anyway still interesting and maybe it's one of those things where we all kind of knew it but we just need to do the science so now everyone can cite this and say well because of this article in 2016 now we know this um as opposed to just Knowing it because we know it. So, okay, Emma. Oh my gosh. Thank you for listening to six minutes of an introduction. That was a long one. Um, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, uh, thank you. I'm super excited.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So why don't you start out telling us um but maybe maybe let's go back to when was the first time you heard about conservation detection dogs? Where were you in the world? Where were you in life? What were you up to at that
1: time? Yeah, yeah. I it was Probably only um, about maybe a year ago now. Um, I was listening to Sarah Stremming's Cog Dog Radio, um, and Hello. Kayla, you were the <laughs> um, the guest podcaster there, and mm-hmm. um, that's when I heard about conservation detection dogs first. I didn't know about it at all um, before then, and I was kind of like. I'm hooked um I love wildlife I love conservation I love dogs and dog training like it just was perfect
0: (laughs) yeah oh that's cool I'm gonna have to we'll have to let Sarah know um (laughs) yeah so um you and you got you had gotten your first dog um Jasper Mm -hmm. already at this point um were you still in school were you working in biotech with the zebrafish what were you up to
1: yeah, I was working in biotech at that time. Um, he was uh, just over a year old, um, so he hadn't had any like specific nose work or scent work foundation experience at all, um, but we had done a lot of other training and agility and um, relationship stuff together. Um, so uh, yeah, we didn't really have any foundation work for scent work, but I was really excited to get into it.
0: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Jasper. Um, How old is he? What's his breed? Um, You said you did some agility, but yeah, tell us all about his background.
1: Yeah. So he is now a little bit over two years old. He is an English Shepherd. Um, Mm -hmm. He is, yeah, we've done a lot of training uh, together. We do tons of hiking um, and outdoor activities. Um, And I. I really focused, um, pretty solely on agility for, for a while when he was younger. Um, but Mm -hmm. the scent detection work was also intriguing to me because I knew it was something that was like very natural for him. Um, and I wanted to see kind of how we could progress with that. Um, and so we had actually started, um, um, I wanted to train him on, uh, truffles because I was Uh in Oregon. Um, there's a lot of truffles out there. And so I wanted to train him on, um, truffle hunting. But, um, once I heard of the conservation detection dog work, it was around that same exact time. And so I kind of was like, well, uh, let's, let's just kind of start diving into this. And so I really, um, I started uh l- looking at your youtube videos and your podcasts yeah uh, kayla and really did like a deep dive <laughs> um into understanding all of that and then working with him on uh the training
0: yeah so what did what did kind of that look like and so you you worked for west this summer um So kind of what was your, your start, you you know, at your starting point, you didn't really know much about scent work yet. He didn't know much about scent work yet. Um, When was this? And then how, what were some of the big steps? And what, um, and then how long did it take to get to the point where you were able to do your first season?
1: Yeah, yeah. So in... I think we probably started in January just doing basics mm-hmm. at work foundations. And so we were uh, searching for treats in the house and in, in like those little yeah. plastic cups and things, and then um, gradually making it more challenging. Um, and then we worked up to toys, uh, searching mm-hmm. for toys and he he was pretty good at it, but he was definitely more intrigued by the, the food. So I was really unsure how, um, he was actually going to do with, with West, um, because, you know, like the, the food is an automatic, um, an immediate reward. And, Mm -hmm. um, when we're searching for, uh, the, the bats out there, um, I didn't know how he would take to it. So, um, when we started, West's training, that was in the summer, so it was about six months after we had started some very basic mm-hmm. scent work. Um, and uh, um, during those six months, we really had only done like the bare bare minimum <laughs> of training. Um, but we once we started with West's like training protocol, um it took us about a month to um, to to train him up to uh, be be field ready.
0: yeah okay yeah and that's that's not dissimilar to my timeline with niffler um i think he started his very first training session may have technically been in december but i got him on december 20th so um <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I i didn't have much time to get much training in before it was january yeah so yeah. Then, yeah i want to say we got our bats in the mail it might have been a little bit earlier than that because i was looking at maybe doing one of the spring sessions and um but I didn't. I didn't start Niffler on bats for a while. I started barley first because originally I wasn't planning on working with Niffler. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then we all know how that turned out. So, um, yeah. What were some of the the areas that you you did struggle with, and whether it was you or Jasper was you know was it kind of getting him to expand search areas, to stay focused, to ignore wildlife, to get onto that target odor, to get the alert you know, dialed in? What were some of the areas that went smoothly or less smoothly for you?
1: Yeah. When we were going through the training protocol, like things were actually going like really well and I was mm-hmm. stoked.
2: <laughs> um, mm-hmm.
1: He he was doing really well. Like we were really well connected. Um, he was excited about it. Um, we were doing uh, like three or four sessions a day. It was a lot. <laughs> um, and um once we got out into the field, um, we hadn't actually yeah we hadn't really prepared for working out in the field that much just because of mm-hmm. our short timeline. Um, so I had I hadn't really expanded the search area uh, that much um, before we actually started working in the field. Mm-hmm. So that was challenging just to have him understand that searching out on these wind farms is the same thing as searching in our yard or the uh like Mm -hmm. a neighboring park um and so I just had to be patient with him there and I did kind of help him um along a little bit more than I probably would have liked to uh, (laughs) if Mm -hmm. we had had the if we had a a little bit longer to do the training um um, because I didn't want him to rely on me to find them (laughs) yeah um but he did, he did want to search for critters for sure. And that was one of our bigger challenges in the beginning. Um, the first Mm -hmm. couple of weeks in the field, he kind of would just go off smelling, uh, (laughs) looking for, I think probably mostly deer and rabbits. Um, and so it was a little bit hard to keep him on task. Um, but they, yeah. Um, because there's a lot of other exciting things out there. (laughs) Yeah. uh Um, So basically what we did to kind of, um, to solve that problem was I would use more, more of our training bats out there um, so that he had more um, chances to get rewards. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would reset him if I thought that I saw him going off of, um, off of his search pattern. So, and that was challenging too because dog his behavior would change. I felt like, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and so it was really hard to figure out when he was actually on odor or if he was on something fun. Um, so yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. No, I remember seeing that those questions kind of popping up in in Patreon and kind of and that was a good one to for me to kind of sit down. And it's one of those, like, I know it when I see it sort of things, or at least with a dog I know well, but trying to tell the difference between a dog that is crittering and a dog that is in odor is not as straightforward as we would like, I think, in general. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything that you, you know, so you said you had to help him out more than you would like. Was that just placing more training bats out when you had those known bats where you kind of taking some extra passes to help him ensure he got the odor. What did that actually look like? um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was placing more training bats. um, And um, when we were out there, I would, I would give him a little like physical guidance, like to, I would kind of position myself in a way where I was pretty confident he should be catching odor. Um, And so and then when he would get to it, I would not request him to do his alert right away because it was just that was just too too hard, too many layers of challenge for him at that time. Yeah. Um, and so I just marked and rewarded as soon as he got to the bat before you know before yeah. he had a chance to even show me an alert. Um. And uh, um, if he if he really was unsure about it, um, because in the field, the, they, the bats are different than our training bats. Um, we, I would kind of show him and I would point to it and be like, yeah, this is, this is what you want. (laughs) Um, and then, and then I could reward him there really heavily. Um, and so I had to be, um, really cognizant of that and, um, how frequently I did that so that he wouldn't start relying on me. Um, as well as um, I had to taper that off pretty quickly. So to prevent that reliance.
0: Yeah, no, and I'm glad you mentioned that. And I think it's one of the things that, you know, we've talked about before on this show. um, It is a big reality in this field, especially with a novice dog. And especially when you kind of have subpar training samples that you're starting the dog on. Um, And honestly, West actually gives good training samples. They give multiple species. They send them out in these little Mylar bags. But it's still, I mean, I know by the time that we hit our first field season, it was like, gosh these three bats that I got sent a couple months ago, have just been beat to hell and my dog know those three bats really well. But there is a little bit of tra- transition over to, um, you know, a really, really fresh bat or a really, really old bat or, um, or a new species that, you know, I think, I think I got three training bats that were all three different species, but we would rotate five or six kind of main species on the wind farm I was on. So there was inevitably going to be some new stuff. So
1: yeah, definitely. And I could tell when he was, when, when he noticed it and he was trying to figure out if it was the right sample or not, um, if it was the right odor. Um, and so I would try to let him, um, let him investigate as long as he wanted to, um, which sometimes was like 30 seconds or a minute of him smelling this bad. <laughs>
0: wow yeah yeah no exactly i think that's a that's a good point and you know letting them and i love that you also mentioned like not necessarily holding them to the alert if you could um because that's I, i was actually just going back and watching training videos of niffler when he was like seven or eight months old um and gosh i was pushing that alert too hard with him um he was doing such a good job with the really hard part and then i was like insisting on not rewarding him till he alerted and like that's something i tell people not to do all the time and i still watching those videos was like well i did it
1: (laughs) yeah yeah you know and i when i started to make it like um have those higher expectations it started to make it more challenging for me because I would get frustrated Mm -hmm. um and and then he started to not want to do it as much and so I was like okay you know what I can tell when you find it like he's he likes to stay around it he might not do his fancy sit alert but he's gonna stay there um and so Mm -hmm. I just kind of like gave up on it for for a while and let him do his thing
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, you know, as long as they're staying within the vicinity and um yeah, it, in a lot of cases that works just fine. And you were in you were in pretty heavy soy, right? Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, that was challenging too because it was hard to tell like when he was on odor there. Um, right. yeah. Like if when he stopped was he just stopping for fun or because he found rabbit poop or was he on odor it was hard to tell because he um was basically covered in the soy so i couldn't actually see him
0: (laughs) right yeah well and i was asking that because i actually so i have not yet worked in soy um i have been mostly working in agricultural um areas uh, like cattle um so it can be anything from like bare dirt in some places um to like shoulder high grass. Um so what was your what was your visibility like with the bats? Not with seeing him but like if he was within like a meter of a bat, could you even see it or did you really need his help to to find those bats in the soil? I
1: definitely needed his help. Um I like if if he was to stop, you I could kind of like dig down and part the soy um, mm-hmm. underneath the top of the foliage is a little bit easier to set, to see. Um, mm-hmm. But but still, there's there was usually like a lot of leaf litter and things on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like if it was covered at all, uh, <laughs> it right. was really hard to find. Um, so yeah, he was a huge help in the soy.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, did you end up needing to I mean, and this is one of those things that, again, where it's like, okay, so his alert wasn't, like, necessarily a thousand percent where we wanted it to be and we were able to work through it. But then if he was just staying in the vic- vicinity and wasn't pinpointing, um, what were kind of some of your solutions for that?
1: Yes, that was that was definitely really uh, – that, that was one of our biggest challenges. Um, so I had to focus a lot on his behavior before he – was actually at odor. So when he was searching and kind of zigzagging Mm. around, um, in the, in the soy, um, that told me when he was actually like on odor. And then, um, as soon as he started to slow down, I got right really close to him so I could watch where, like exactly where he was smelling. Um, and, uh, and yeah, then I, I would just have to kind of either, um, Kind of prompt him to be like okay show show me where is it um <laughs> or uh sometimes he would he would pinpoint and he would be he would stay right there right on it um so
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well. Okay. Yeah. And I'm. That's helping me kind of visualize this a little bit better. So he is actually. He's really kind of getting his nose right onto it and detailing right up to it. And then he may not be holding an alert. But if you can see that, then you can see. Okay. The moment where he kind of stops searching. Stops.
1: Yes. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. And he, he would he would pretty much stay within like a you know like a, a couple feet radius of it. Um, mm-hmm. And especially if it was something like really smelly and good, he would stay right there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. I think, because uh, I was imagining, like, Niffler's problem, and I've talked about this before on the show, his problem our first season was, like, he was sometimes alerting, like, four meters downwind, you know? Because he was just, he was just, like, throwing an alert as soon as he caught odor. Um, so I'm like, God, if if he if I couldn't get him to do anything from there, I would have had a lot of targets that I would have just totally missed. (laughs)
2: Um, You know, which is,
0: and I think I, but I think it's really important to like talk about this um, because when we have our marketing videos that we put up on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. um, And when we're talking to people about like the power of these dogs, it's all true, but there's also, especially with first time dogs, especially with first time handlers, like, and still kind of always there's, you're working through stuff these dogs are not like camera traps that you can just like set it and forget it and come collect an sd card once a week like
1: yeah yeah and and with jasper like he's also very in tune with me and pretty sensitive so if we Mm -hmm. (laughs) if i was having a rough day uh he was gonna have a rough day (laughs) yeah Um, And so, yeah, just remembering that they are, they are also living beings. They're not robots. They can't, they can't do this 100% perfectly all the time as much as we would really, really like them to.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, and I'm glad you mentioned that as well. So what were some of the things that maybe surprised you um, during your first season? Um, We've talked a lot about some of the things that were maybe challenging, but was there anything that like surprised you that you felt unprepared for?
1: Well, I wasn't expecting the wind turbines to actually make as much noise as they did. So oh, when you're yeah. working like right under them, sometimes they would make some really creepy, scary noises. <laughs> uh-huh. yep. l- luckily, Jasper's not noise sensitive, so he really couldn't care less. But for me, walking under them, I was like, That thing's gonna fall down. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. no, everything was totally fine. Uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing drastic happened. Um, uh, <laughs> but I think that was one of the, the more surprising things. And I do know, um, one of the people that, um, I was working with, uh, she, her dog was super noise sensitive. So for them, that was, uh, a big hurdle for them to get through, um, in their first season. And sometimes even, even after that, um, if it if it randomly started making some crazy noises, um, her dog would have some challenges there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, that's that's a good point. I know. I think Rachel said that her dog, Suki, had um, some challenges. And I want to say that she even said it was just like one out of every, like, five turbines, ten turbines or whatever, Suki would have like a, a thing about. Um, and, yeah, I know we had one turbine this year. Uh, 195 that, like, just whenever the wind was shifting, so the turbine was rotating. Like, I don't know if it increased or lube or whatever, but it made these horrible screeching sounds that you could hear from like five turbines away. And the first time I was under it and it did that, I was like, I'm gonna die. Hard <laughs> this hard. We're, we're done for. god Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, get out of here.
2: <laughs> yeah um that yeah, was uh, was there anything that like did you and obviously we can't go in this you have any finds you have any big days that just you were like absolutely thrilled with jasper did you have any big wins that you want to share with us yeah
1: yeah so once we once we started getting a hang of it um he he really like he really started to to shine and he would find some really awesome things out there um uh, he also would find non-target odors, uh, which were pretty cool. They could be pretty cool. We found a, um, a, like a, a snapping turtle nest in the ground <laughs> that had been dug up, um, sadly. So all the, all the baby snapping turtles, um, were, were dead, unfortunately, but he, he was very excited to find that. And that was pretty cool. Um, that was one of the coolest things that we found out there. <laughs>
0: Listen, you and your dog are already canine conservationists by listening to the show, so go ahead and show it off. Join the club. Check out our brand new merch store, which is located at canineconservationists.org. It's stocked with stickers and magnets and bags and shirts. We're adding new designs all the time. If you're an artist wanting to collaborate, just We split profits and are eager to hear from you. Reach out at canineconservationist at gmail.com. We also offer all of our webinars on demand through our store. So you can check out our puppy raising webinar, alerts and changes of behavior, introducing a target odor, as well as seeking sourcing and alerting. We're also planning to add new webinars to this all the time. So if you've got a request for a webinar or you're a practitioner hoping to contribute a webinar, again, we're going to split our profits with you and you can reach out to us at canineconservationist at gmail.com. Let's keep the learning going. <laughs> yeah, that's really neat. Um, yeah, we had we had what we think were probably um, bull snake eggs that we found. That um, and it was funny. We actually found them on our last day at work. Um,
1: nice, that's really fun. Yeah, I love yeah. finding all all sorts of like random stuff out there.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had some. And then there's always the odd one. We had a funny one where this happened last year as well, but um, a dead cow at one of the turbines and both of the dogs are like, ah, this is a lot of dead mammal. Like, do you like the first one that Niffler found last year was like probably close to a quarter mile off plot and he went all the way up to it. And then like wouldn't alert to it, wouldn't touch it, but also wouldn't leave it. <laughs> and I had to walk all the way over and collect him and like bring him back to the plot and be like, no. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh, that's crazy! Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then we have to like call the the wind facility, and then they get in touch with the landowners and, yeah. uh, you know, try to try to get that taken care of, um, or at least let them know that one of their their cows didn't make it. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah was there anything like safety wise that you weren't quite expecting or that you um you know kind of learned about throughout the season as a way to keep you and jasper happier and healthier out there
1: yeah yeah um so being from the from oregon the pacific northwest um Mm -hmm. i had never been out to the midwest at all so i did not know did not know really what to expect um and I was pretty shocked by the amount of thunder and lightning storms. And so, whenever there was lightning, um, we can't work. We couldn't work out in the, um, in un, in the wind farm. So, uh, because it it's unsafe. Um, and so. Uh, anytime we would get like lightning alerts, we'd have to go back to the the like main office building um, and kind of hunker down there for a while, um, and that happened pretty frequently, uh, which was ulti- ultimately ended up being kind of uh, annoying, <laughs> but um, but it was really good that they were um, so so safety conscious and made sure that we were going to be totally fine. Yeah. Um, other things we uh ticks out here have lyme disease (laughs) some some ticks do um and so when when we went through the training and stuff they explained like which tick species carry lyme disease and other diseases Mm -hmm. um and how to protect ourselves from them so everything ended up being totally fine and we didn't really work in areas where it was um super heavily tick infested but it was definitely something that I wasn't used to being so concerned about um
0: yeah yeah the pacific northwest is uh is very nice for yeah lack of thunderstorms lack of (laughs) lack of Lyme disease generally Um, yeah yeah uh, yeah
1: not where at least where I was from like didn't really have to worry about uh venomous snakes or you know dangerous things (laughs) like that
0: yeah, that's great to hear. And um yeah, was there anything else that you kind of wanted to bring up about your first season? Like lessons learned. Are you gonna go back? Um yeah, what else what else do you want to tell people about your first season as like a novice handler? I've been wanting to yes. do this episode with someone who just finished for a long time. So
1: Yeah, yeah. So um so many things. Let's see where to start. Um so Jasper Um, even though we've done a whole bunch of training, um, different kinds of training together, I wouldn't consider him like one of these crazy high drive dogs. And so while that's nice to live with, like as a pet, meaning he doesn't, you know, he's not going to destroy my house because I didn't get him out for two days, (laughs) But, but he, um, that was, that was sometimes pretty challenging out in the field, um. He, you know, like when things got a little bit more challenging, if the weather got mm-hmm. hotter, he kind of would peter out and he, he would want to opt out. And so that was mm-hmm. challenging for for me um, because I didn't really know how to handle that. Um, I didn't want to force him to continue working if he was like, not like I'm, I'm done. Um, <laughs> but I also was like, well, now we're doing this as a job. So you kind of have to, <laughs> right. so so it yeah. was really, it was really interesting trying to navigate that. And ultimately what we would do is we would just take a little bit longer breaks, um, make sure he mm-hmm. was, um, getting really cooled off. Um, when, when that was, uh, just too challenging for him. Um, and, uh, making sure that I was staying enthusiastic and positive, like that was really important for, for him. Um, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, um, you know, like maybe not everybody working, going into this field, um, has like a super, super high drive dog. Um, and I think going through West is a really good way to dip your toes in, um, because it is relatively easy. Like the search areas are fairly small, like it's pretty consistent. Um, you're not. You, you don't have to really go hiking in the woods for like miles and miles. And <laughs> um, so it can be, um, you know, that, that makes it a little bit easier. So I think it's a good way for, for green um, handlers and new dogs to just test it out to see if it's something that they could be successful with.
0: Yeah, totally. And yeah, I definitely agree. And I think I talked about this in like the episode about working with a teenage dog when I did the first season with Niffler like I I don't think there are really many if any other projects that I would have felt that comfortable taking a dog that young out and working with. Um and you yeah, know, we were just talking about this in uh in the handler course that we're running right now. Um you know, one of the things that is really nice if you do end up getting into this field and staying in this field is definitely having multiple dogs it was i was really surprised how nice it was this year because i have two dogs who physically absolutely can do everything that west needs them to do consistently um But there's always the risk for injury, which was kind of the first thing I was worried about. Um, You know, if a dog, even something minor like tearing a toenail and they can't go out for a day or two, then you're behind on your search schedule and the studies get all screwy and, you know, that. Um, But we also definitely need to be advocate for our dogs. and We can't just force them. And one of the things that we also were talking about in class last night was you can't force a dog to do this job. Even if you want to, even if like ethically, you're like, I don't care. I'm going to make them do it. Um, which we do not advocate here on this show at all. <laughs> but even if you were going to try, it's not like trying to get a dog to sit or trying to, you can force a dog to heal, um, or at least kind of be in heel position. Um, but you can't force a dog to sniff out stuff for you, um, but then the other thing that i i wasn't expecting as much was how nice it was to kind of be able to tell niffler hey you're distracted by those cattle on the horizon or hey it's really hot and you just had a crap ton of fines like i'm actually going to pull you in and put you back in the car now even there were this probably only happened four or five times over the summer um but I even a couple times had Niffler do the first half of a plot and Barley do the second half. If we had a a single turbine that had um, maybe a a flock of bats had flown past or something. Um, Yeah. And yeah, it's really nice, but it's this total to catch 22. Whereas a novice handler, it's unlikely that you're going to have two dogs that really want this job. Um, And I would not recommend someone who has not done a couple seasons get additional dogs for this sort of work you know um or you know that uh and like sarah strumming talks about this in her show like these upgrade dogs where you get into agility with your first dog you know whatever you've got in your house some little you know lab beagle cross whatever that you picked up at the shelter and they do good you enjoy it you get some cues and it's good and then you're like okay so now i'm gonna go and i'm gonna get some like sporty border collie from lines that like (laughs) you know the agility world champ (laughs) lines or whatever And you just end up like way over correcting or really ending up over your head. And like, I think a lot of us can rise to that occasion and that's great. But um, you know, if you decide that you want to leave this field or you're even honestly, even if you're, you do it every year for the rest of forever, it's only three months a year. So you still have nine months a year that you have to live with those, live with these dogs. And if you've got three of them, um, Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it gets really, really challenging to maintain if you want to have multiple dogs in particular and multiple dogs at this really, really high level, it's, it's challenging to figure out what to do with them the rest of the year.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I already was considering, I was like, okay, what's the next dog going to be? <laughs> um, but also thinking, yes, about the the podcast, like, I don't want to get myself um, too far in over my head um, and have have a dog that I, yeah, that I can't can't live with, can't deal with the rest of the year. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I think I, I definitely want to go back, um, to, to, to do this more. And I'm, um, uh, just starting training with him on, um, some, some plants. I'm trying to see if he can actually, yeah, if he can, if he can pick that up. Um, cause I imagine that's going to be a lot more challenging, um, And then
0: kind of just see where it takes us because it's pretty fun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, so you've relocated to Wisconsin now, right? Yeah, yep. I'm in Wisconsin. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean... I think aside from the wind farm work, invasive plant work is one of the areas where like and I've said this before, like novice handlers can really make such a big impact and it's and it's a good spot for novice handlers. You know, like acquiring the samples and training on plants can be a little bit more challenging, but otherwise it's very much so if your dog has like mediocre sensitivity or mediocre sense specificity because you're learning. Mm-hmm. Um it's okay. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 not as, it's not as high stakes as some of these, some of the other projects that are out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, um, you know, like, it, it, yeah, I think it's just a good, a good way to kind of keep expanding our, our skills um, and see, yeah, see if he can do it um, and see if it's something that I want to keep pursuing too.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's really exciting. Um, yeah, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up, or any questions for me? Um, advice for people who maybe are in the position that you were in a year ago? Yeah. Um, let's see. So, yeah, if you're if you're considering
1: doing this kind of work, um, I I would definitely suggest just starting with either doing the treat searching for treats or toys or something. Um, I felt like that was a pretty low stakes way of starting the training so that if I, if I messed anything up there, then like, it didn't really matter. Like we weren't working with our target odor. Um, and then I forgot to mention this earlier, but we had also, um, didn't done an intermediate, um, where we where I trained him on or imprinted him on, um, just like vanilla extract um and and I worked with him on that um to make sure that he could actually search for something that was um like a neutral odor um and uh, um and it worked (laughs) so um that was pretty cool but yeah um other than that for anybody that's starting their first season um you know like it might be kind of challenging um during your season, you might find some find that you're running into some challenges where you might be doubting like your, your skills or your dog's skills and see Um, like if he's, if they're still searching or not. Um, and, um, I would suggest just trusting your training and the training that you've put into it. Um, and that they, they really know ultimately what they're going to be looking for, um, because you've put in the work for it. Um, and, um, instead of like getting frustrated with the dog just just trust that you're you're going down the right path. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. No, I think that's that's great advice and yeah, trusting the training and you know, especially if you have if you've done the work and you know, and this is something I was talking to one of the other novice handlers on the wind farm about this year was, you know, she was a little bit stressed out that my dogs were finding more than her dogs. And it was like, "Hey, Barley's been doing this for five years that's not quite true. he's been doing it for three he's been doing set work for five years and and the professional detection stuff for three like i would be i would be shocked if in week one or even week four your dogs were at the same level as him and i think that's something that again is like challenging to talk about from you know, a scientific validity standpoint from a marketing standpoint. But, you know, when you, when you hire a new person for a role, even if you're hiring them to be your CEO, you expect there to be some onboarding time. Um And yeah. I think, yeah. And like, honestly, that imposter syndrome and like questioning of your dogs does uh, so far does not go away. Um <laughs> I, uh, I, this year had to literally start keeping track of how many, false alerts how many um finds how many turbines searched per dog because i was just so sure that niffler was not doing as well as barley um and i really had to like prove it to myself that like no turbine by turbine he's finding just as many but or maybe like five percent fewer Mm -hmm. um and like that to me falls into an acceptable level but i had to literally like sit down and like start taking numbers in order to convince myself that like (laughs) you know i'm not a a hack and a fraud
1: (laughs) yeah we like to set high expectations for ourselves
0: (laughs) yeah i mean yeah i i I don't think there's nothing to the joke that dog trainers have like uh as a as a category we have some control and perfectionism issues yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah i would agree with that (laughs) yeah yeah there's not nothing there um (laughs) Uh, yeah, well, cool. Emma, did you, um, I guess maybe the last thing is, are there any resources, um, that you found particularly helpful? Did you read any books? Were you in any, like, FDSA courses? (laughs) Did you find anything really useful? Um,
1: um, honestly, I pretty much solely just watched your (laughs) videos. and and uh joined the patreon and and got information and help on on the patreon um but no i wish i would have like i definitely if Mm -hmm. i thought that i was going to be um like really going down this route Mm -hmm. uh i would have definitely taken some time to do some other other yeah fdsa courses or or just um like in person yeah nose work scent work classes
0: yeah there's always time for more Uh, i'm still always (laughs) i'm (laughs) still taking classes and hopefully will forever. Cause I mean, the thing too, like even if I'm at a point, which I don't think I'll ever reach, but even if I were to get to a point where it's like, okay, I'm kind of done with taking nose work classes or set work classes or detection classes or whatever, which again, I don't necessarily see that ever happening. And it's like, okay, well what about certified canine fitness trainer? What about sports medicine? What about, you know, odor dynamics? What about airflow? Like, God, you could start taking like online physics classes yeah there's I don't know there's start so learning much. how to do, do your own genetics like there's exactly. there's
1: always more yeah um, continuing education it's very important for us
0: yeah yeah well and it keeps us busy in the off season I feel like every year I'm like this is the year where I'm going to be able to do the certified canine fitness trainer class uh and yeah. then every year uh i get to about this time so we're talking on halloween uh and it's like oh no my office visit is not going to be quiet the way that <laughs> i always envision it's
2: going to be nice yes yeah
0: <laughs> so, okay well emma um i think i've asked you this uh twice now but we'll ask one more time just in case there is another one anything else you wanted to bring up any other advice um questions that you wanted to drop in before we wrap up here
1: I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for having me. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, and thank you for agreeing to come on. I think I messaged you like what, three days ago. I was like, Hey, cause you're, I think you, uh, there's at least one other person, but you're part of our first crop of Patreon students who have now made it into getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> <for> <laughs> this. So um, yeah. we definitely have to celebrate that. And um you know yeah. it's uh it's really exciting to to watch you guys getting out there and like obviously can't take credit for it but it's cool to see um cool to see
1: it's awesome yeah no honestly but you, your yeah your resources that you've provided for us it, or for for jasper and i have been super helpful so thank yeah you for well that.
0: and he's yeah. also you know he's totally our type um <laughs> we're, we're into jasper over here he's a very handsome boy he's very um, handsome <laughs> yeah um, well, Emma, is there anywhere that you would like to be found online um, if people are interested in seeing some photos of Jasper or just getting to know you a little bit more?
1: Um, Sure. Yeah, I'm not super active on like social media, but um, if you want to see him, um, you can check out our Instagram uh, page, critter.cabin. Um, and yeah, you can see him and all of my other other pets too. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Um, All right. Well, and for everyone at home, thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned a lot. You're feeling inspired to get outside and be a canine conservationist in whatever way suits your passions and skill set. Maybe that's by joining Patreon and getting yourself hired on a wind farm next year. We don't know. We can can do anything. Um, You can find show notes where we'll have all of the links from this episode. We also have transcripts that go up almost on time now consistently for the episodes um you can obviously donate to us and join that patreon all over at canineconservationists.org. until next time